Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The Peter Schiff Show. The U.S. stock market continues to rally on basically the exact same news story that keeps on getting replayed over and over. Today, it was the absence of another government shutdown. I guess now this is finality when it comes to no more government shutdowns, although that should have been obvious to everybody when Trump caved the last time and decided to pay everybody and temporarily end the shutdown. I said on my podcast at that time that that was it, that there was no way that there was going to be another government shutdown, yet the market continues to celebrate when they think that the shutdown is not going to happen. Well, now they know for sure it's not going to happen. Everything's signed. It's a done deal. And Trump is getting his wall anyway because he has now declared a national emergency. And so because it's a national emergency, we are now going to pull these funds from other parts of the budget, and we are going to build the wall. Of course, the real uh, national emergency is not the lack of a wall, right, the failure to build a wall, but building up the national debt, the $22 trillion national debt. We eclipsed that uh, dubious milestone earlier in the week. And again, when you talk about the national debt at $22 trillion, we're talking about the tip of a huge iceberg. This is just a funded portion of the debt. This is where the U.S. government sells a bond and somebody owns that bond. It doesn't include liabilities like what the government owes for Social Security or guaranteed uh, bank deposits or mortgages or student loans or all that nonsense. That's not there. Those are contingent liabilities. They're just as real. They're not even part 
of the national debt. So uh, when you look at all the, the liabilities that the U.S. government is on the hook for, I mean, you're talking about well over $100 trillion or $200 trillion. I'm not even sure what the number is. So $20 trillion is maybe 5 or 10% of the debt. But that debt, that is the real national emergency. I mean, it's too bad that President Trump doesn't want to do anything about that crisis, that emergency. You know, declare an emergency and now let's cut some government spending because we are headed for a train wreck in this country because of the national debt. What Trump has been building while he hasn't been building a wall is he's been building up the size of government and he's been building up the deficits that have been necessary to finance that government buildup. But this doesn't even get a mention. Again, we didn't mention the national debt at all in the State of the Union address, and we're not mentioning it now. We're going to focus on this uh, contrived national emergency, and we're going to ignore uh, an actual emergency, an actual crisis. Now, some people will say, well, you know, Peter, people have been warning about this debt crisis for a long time and nothing bad has happened. And so, therefore, it's not really a national emergency. Just because we haven't suffered uh, a crisis yet based on this debt doesn't mean that one isn't coming. In fact, it's there's no way around it. It's just a question of when. It's not a question of if, question of when. And I think when is gonna, is a lot closer than a lot of people think. Meanwhile, the Dow was up 443 points today uh, based on that. Of course, there was the other good news that helped drove, drive the market higher today was supposedly we are making more progress on a great deal with China. I mean, Trump was talking today about how much progress we're making and how this is going to be a fantastic deal. This is going to be a beautiful deal. This is going to be the greatest deal ever made. Well, I guess except for the uh, USMCA, although I think it's going to be greater than that deal. So that deal is going to be the second greatest deal in the history of deals. And this new deal is going to be the greatest deal ever, even if it accomplishes nothing. But whenever Trump talks positively about the progress that we're making on a deal, the markets just run with that story. And as I said, there's only so much mileage you can get out of rehashing the same story. But believe me, when we get a deal, the market's going to sell off on that news if it hasn't already sold off before then, which is a reason that Trump may never want a deal, because as long as he can dangle the prospects of a deal in front of the market and it keeps rallying, why would he want to actually ruin that by actually coming out with a deal, actual fact that can, that the market could sell off on after they've been bidding up the rumor for so long? The broader market, though, not as strong. The uh, Nasdaq only up uh, 0.61% today, 45 uh, points. The Dow's 443-point increase was 1.74%. Gold, though, also continuing to rise. I'm not sure if this was the highest close of the year, but it was pretty close. Gold was up almost 9 bucks, closed just over 1321 So the gold chart still looking pretty good. Gold stocks had a positive day. I mean, they were up, I guess, a little bit more uh, than the overall market, but nothing uh, spectacular coming from the gold stocks. The oil price continues to notch higher. We closed up a dollar thirty-four, better than fifty-six dollars. This is the highest close I think uh, of this year, and we are breaking out. I think in a very bullish formation. As I've been saying, I think oil is put in a bottom and it's headed higher. 
And this is actually not good news for the U.S. economy. It's going to be bad news because Americans were catching a break in the form of lower gas prices, and that break is going to be going away. You know, meanwhile, the market has to continue to ignore all of the bad economic news that has been coming out, right? As they're focusing on this trade deal or the lack of a government shutdown or the fact that the Fed is no longer hiking rates. In fact, if you look at the probabilities now, the official probabilities, the markets are now believing that there is a higher probability that rates will be cut in 2019 than raised. Now, I think the markets are correct, but it's taken a while for the market to come around to that. I mean, imagine a few months ago, I was the only one saying this, right? I was the only guy out there saying that I think if the Fed hikes rates in December of last year, that their next move would be a cut. Nobody believed that. People thought that was crazy. Now that's the consensus. We've had a complete 180 where people have come around to my side of the argument in that the Fed is going to cut rates or more likely have a cut than, than a hike. I do think, though, the market is underestimating how aggressive the cut's going to be. I mean, maybe they think, ah, oh, the Fed might cut rates 25 basis points. Uh-uh. I'm pretty sure that the, the first cut is all the way to zero. I don't think they're going to make baby steps. I think by the time they get around to cutting, they're going to be pretty damn scared that things are really coming unglued. And I think if they just cut a quarter point, I mean, they really risk uh, a, a bigger collapse and then, then having to cut more. So my thinking is if they cut, they're going right to zero. They're not going to monkey around. And in fact, I think they're going to be going right to quantitative easing. In fact, Fed Governor uh, Brainerd uh, uh, came out, I think, yesterday in an interview, and she said that she believes that the Fed should end its quantitative tightening program, right, the unwinding of its balance sheet. They should bring that to an end this year, right? This is what I was saying, that not only would the Fed abort their attempt to normalize interest rates, but they would abort their attempt to shrink their balance sheet. And now here you have the Fed admitting, oh, I think we should cut off uh, the unwind this year, which means that the balance sheet is still going to be huge when the Fed is finished shrinking it. And of course, what is the next thing they're going to do? They're already talking about this now, that quantitative easing is no longer just an emergency policy you know, for a financial crisis. This is just another tool that the Fed has in its, you know, in its toolbox to deal with normal uh, recessions, normal cyclical declines. And the reason the Fed needs this tool is because the Fed knows they're never going to get interest rates high enough so that they can cut interest rates and make a difference. Since we're stuck so close to zero, that cutting rates like from 2%, right, is not going to provide enough stimulus. So quantitative easing is all they've got. But quantitative easing isn't going to be enough because the next time the Fed goes back to that well, it's going to be empty in that when they do it, the dollar is going to crash. Now, the dollar hasn't crashed yet. A lot of people might be thinking, hey, what's going on? I mean, we've had the Fed do a complete about face from hiking rates to cutting rates. We ha we've had a complete about face from, you know, the uh, balance sheet unwind is on autopilot as far as the eye can see till we're going to end it this year, right? I mean, a complete 180. Why is the dollar index barely below 97? The dollar has not really lost anything on this shift in, in sentiment and in Fed policy. Now, part of that is because people also believe that the rest of the global economy is also going to be weaker and maybe people are pricing out 
uh, rate hikes that they might have thought were coming in other countries or they think other central banks will be easier than they had uh, believed. So maybe they don't think there's a relative difference. I think they're wrong there. But I think the main thing is just people are really clueless and oblivious to what's going on, you know, kind of like a deer in a headlight. I mean, they, they don't really know what to do and they're just kind of frozen. I remember the subprime market, you know, we had the hedge fund that was short subprime. And I remember at the very beginning when subprime really started blowing up and we started seeing these big bankruptcies in the sector. And I was looking at our hedge fund and we were short these subprime bonds. They were triple B rated bonds and the bond prices were not falling. They were still actually showing above par. And I remember, you know, talking to this the guy, Andy Lottie, who was actually managing the portfolio for us, like, what is going on? And like, we didn't know. I mean, and basically, really what we should have been doing is taking advantage of this because we should have been pressing that trade and shorting even more instead of being frustrated about, hey, why aren't these things going down? We're short these bonds. The subprime market is blowing up, yet we're not seeing that reflected in the bonds that we shorted. And, you know, it was just people just didn't get it. It took a while. But then all of a sudden, when they got it, the bonds imploded. And they went from a bit of about par to no bit at all in a very, very short period of time. I forget if it was just a few days or even a week. But these things imploded. You know, once they started going down, they just dropped, you know, practically basically to zero. And so I think something similar is going to happen. Obviously, the dollar is not going to zero. But I think you have this delayed reaction in people don't really comprehend yet what's going on and the implications of what's going on and, and, and what the Fed has done. Because, again, most people still think that the Fed intended from the beginning to raise rates more than they have or they were going to shrink their balance sheet more. But some stuff happened along the way that you know prevented them from doing what they wanted to do. If you remember from day one, I said – the Fed is just waiting for an excuse to call off quantitative tightening or to abort their rate hiking because I knew they could not do what they said. It's just most people on Wall Street actually believe that they could. And they still think that they would have, but for some other events in the global economy that have kind of intervened and that have kind of changed the picture. That's not true. The Fed was never able to do this from day one. So it didn't matter. They were going to have to come up with some excuse, whatever it was, to abort the process and some excuse to not follow through with the shrinking of the balance sheet. So people still don't get that. They still think everything is fine. They still think we have a viable economy. And, and so they're still buying the dollar. And while they are doing that, before they wake up, instead of like, you know, questioning it or, hey, why aren't we making more money, you know, in these foreign stocks or why aren't we making more money in gold stocks, right? There's an old expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. As far as I'm concerned, this is a gift horse. The fact that you've got so many people that are so clueless and they're giving you this opportunity, given all the stuff that has already happened that basically reinforces how right we are in our our way of thinking and our investment strategy, the fact that we can increase our allocation, right? For people who have accounts with me that who have an opportunity to put more money into their portfolios at this time, this is a gift horse. And for those of you who don't even have accounts, right, who have just been, you know, just kind of procrastinating, this is your opportunity. This is a gift horse where it's clear that what we've been saying is correct, yet the markets are in that deer in the headlight phase where they haven't figured it out. But you know what happens eventually to the deer in the headlight? He gets hit by the car and he dies. 
And I think that is what's going to happen to people who are stuck in the U.S. market, stuck in the dollar, stuck in U.S. treasuries. Uh, you know, they're going to get plastered by this car. You know, some of the economic news that has just come out this week that is being ignored. Look at the retail sales number that came out yesterday. Right? They were looking for a gain of 0.1. I mean, not a big number, but they were looking for a gain of 0.1. And then less autos, they were looking for flat. Less autos and gas, they were looking for a gain of 0.4. And the control group, they were looking for a gain of 0.4. Here are the real numbers. Retail sales, headline number, down 1.2%. That is the biggest drop in almost 10 years. You got to go back to the Great Recession, 2009, to find a bigger drop in retail sales than that. X autos down 1.8. 1.8! Less autos and gas down 1.4. Control group down 1.7. Horrific number. I mean, I'm watching CNBC. The number comes out. Everybody is scratching their head. Nobody can figure it out. I mean, they think it's like a one-off number, some kind of a glitch. They say it doesn't make any sense. What's changed? I mean, the consumer's in such great shape. This has got to be an aberration, right? Everything is fine. I mean, they, they can't possibly accept that this number is real, right? So they just want to dismiss it. They're waiting for it to be revised or changed. And I remember uh, going back uh, to earlier in the fourth quarter of last year, I was saying that I thought that we would have a weak holiday season for, for Christmas. And I remember when we got the initial numbers coming out of maybe MasterCard, there, there was some indication that the Christmas season was going to be strong. I remember on my podcast saying, I don't think so. Let's wait and see. Let's wait for the final numbers. This doesn't make sense to me. Given what I know is happening in the housing market, given what I see in the auto sector and uh, retailing of financials, I just didn't see how we were going to have that strong a Christmas. And it turned out I was right. It was a disaster. This was a horrible Christmas. uh, And the people who thought it was going to be a good one, they were wrong. And so now, based on this bad economic data that's coming out, and we got some more bad economic data today when it comes to industrial production. We got that number for January. So this is a Q1 number in 2019. And they were looking for an increase of 0.1. And instead, we got a decrease of 0.6. And the uh, manufacturing number was supposed to be up 1. And it was down 0.9. And even capacity utilization dropped sharply from 78.8 to 78.2. This really, again, evidences a weakening economy. I mean, if you look at the Atlanta Fed, they reduced their number for Q4 of last year down to 1.5. It was like 2.7 before this revision down to 1.5. Remember, I was saying that during the semi-government shutdown, there was a lot of economic data that wasn't coming out. And my thought was it was probably bad. So the the government was probably happy uh, that this data wasn't being released because it would provide evidence of a weakening economy. Of course, evidence that the markets don't really care about uh, because now they care more about the fact that the Fed is not hiking rates anymore. But again, not hiking rates isn't enough, especially when you have these lofty earnings estimates. But as I've said many, many times, this economy can't take two, two and a quarter percent interest rates. There's just not enough stimulus there. 
the economy can't take quantitative tightening. Even if it's a, a smaller amount than the market was bracing for, this market needs QE. We need massive money printing. We need 0% interest rates to keep this bubble from deflating. Now, of course, we don't need it in that it's not good for us. It's bad. You know, we need it just like a drug addict needs drugs to stay high, right? I'm not arguing that, you know, heroin is healthy, but if you're a heroin addict and you want to feel good, well, you know, you take more heroin. You know, if you stop taking heroin, you know, you're going to feel lousy. And so if you're just trying to artificially prop up the economy, what the Fed is supplying now, the amount of heroin is just not enough. You know, when you have a big enough addiction, you need a certain amount to, to satisfy, uh, you know, your tolerant level for where you are on that drug. And we need a lot more than a 2% rates and this quantitative tightening. So the markets haven't gotten uh, their arms around that yet. But if the Fed, if the uh, Atlanta Fed is correct, right, about 1.5 for Q4, and it may end up lower than that. I mean, 1.5 could still be on the optimistic side, but let's say it's 1.5. If you take the other three quarters of 2018 and assuming that none of them ever get revised, that would mean the entire year of 2018 would come in at 2.85%. So in other words, we're still not three. Trump's been bragging about how he's been able to create 3% economic growth, a milestone that Obama never achieved in the eight years that he was president, well, if the Atlanta Fed is right, he wouldn't have achieved it either. Because his first year, I think, was 2.2 or 2.3. And his second year, maybe it's going to be 2.85 or something like that. And whatever this year ends up being, this year, 2018 or last year, that's the high water mark. It's all downhill. And I've been saying that pretty much this entire year, that 2018 GDP is the best that Trump's going to do. And so if he doesn't hit 3% in 2018, he's never hitting it. In fact, even if we don't get a recession in the next year or two, which I think is a big if, because I think we're going to get one. But even if we don't, growth is going to be so slow that I bet that the entire four years of Trump's first term, assuming he has a second term, but the entire four years, the average GDP growth, I believe, will be lower than what the average GDP growth was during Obama's second term. So in other words, this mountain of debt would have bought us nothing. We would have achieved no better growth than we had under Obama, despite all the tax cuts and all the extra debt that we accumulated to get it. And in fact, the New York Fed has just revised down their forecast for this quarter, Q1, all the way down to 1%, 1.0. That's it. That is all the New York Fed is looking for for the first quarter of 2019. So that is a pretty dramatic slowdown. And all these people who are out there saying, oh, we have no chance of having a recession in 2019. That's crazy. That's impossible. Well, wait a minute. If the first quarter is at 1%. I mean, we're already dangerously close. I mean, we have a rapid deceleration going from where we were at, you know, 4%-ish, 3.5%, 4% in Q2, Q3. That's a rapid slowdown to, to go down to 1.5%, then 1%. I mean, you are on a dangerous trajectory to a recession, which, of course, right now, a recession couldn't come at a worse time because not only where the Fed is, right, and not only the box that the Fed has gotten itself in, but the politics of, of where we are, right, with the rise of socialism uh, on the left. And, you know, there is no way 
that under normal economic times, I don't think as dumb as the American electorate is, they're not that dumb, right? They're not as dumb as uh, the bartender. I mean, I mean, look at what she just did celebrating, celebrating, tweeting about how great it was for her own constituents that Amazon decided to pull out, right? They were going to open up their second headquarters uh, in uh, Jersey City, Queens, right? They were going to hire 25,000 people, high jobs, high paying tech jobs. This is not a fulfillment center. This is not people, you know, packing up stuff in boxes. These are programmers and, you know, you know, executive type positions, which, you know, is really good for New York, certainly good for that area. I mean, I know a lot of developers have been snapping up real estate, figuring that all these people are going to be, you know, buying condos or renting apartments. And obviously, uh, you know, they jumped the gun there, but uh, they're canceling their plans. They're getting so hassled uh, by uh, the local politicians. I think one of the big uh, stumbling blocks, I think, for Amazon was demands that were being put upon them that the jobs that they were creating be union jobs. I mean, unions, who the hell wants uh, unionized jobs? In fact, I don't even think you would have unions for the type of jobs that they're going to be creating. But there was a lot of pressure uh, for, you know, Amazon to give in. I guess, you know, Jeff Bezos is like, hell, I'm under enough pressure now, you know, with my divorce and, you know, being blackmailed on, you know, my, my those pictures, uh, you know, uh, by Pecker. Uh, and so he's like, hell, who the hell needs this? I'm just, you know, forget it. I'm pulling out of this, uh, uh, this mess. And, um, you know, Akasha Cortez, she thinks this is a great victory for the people of New York, that we keep this greedy billionaire out of the city who is going to exploit us uh, with all these high-paying jobs because, oh, they weren't going to be union jobs. I mean, and, and, she's, and she was really upset that there was some money that was going to be given by the city to... Amazon and the amount of money they were actually getting was maybe about 500 million. I mean, the rest of it is reductions in taxes that they're not even going to collect anyway, right? These are, you know, some tax concessions that really don't cost the city anything because they're simply giving up some revenue they don't even have. So the upfront out of pocket cost, uh, you know, with helping the, on the construction of their, their, their headquarters, uh, the, the city of New York and the state of New York would have received a massive return on, on that investment. I mean, they were going to collect many more, uh, much more rather, in payroll taxes uh, than what they were outlaying up front. So this was a tiny amount of money relative to the windfall uh, that they were going to achieve. And of course, everybody was in favor of it, except, you know, I guess the real socialist wing that just doesn't want anything that to have to do with the private sector. And it, look, if you listen to a uh, Cortez talk, I mean, she's like, Oh, we're wasting all this money. You know, if we're going to spend, and she keeps talking about the 3 billion, which includes the tax concessions, right? That's money that they don't even, the city doesn't even have. That's money. That's less taxes that Amazon would have to pay. But now because they're not coming to New York, they're not paying anything. So the real amount of savings is just maybe a half a billion dollars, but she's talking about two or three billion. And she's saying, Oh, why don't we use that money better? Why don't we use that money to hire more teachers or to fix up our subways. I mean, she will, she would rather have the government employing people and spending money than Amazon. But of course, when the government employs people and spends money, they create nothing, right? And who pays for that? The taxpayers are on the hook for all of that. When a private company comes in, it doesn't cost the taxpayers anything. The, these, the salaries are paid out of the profits, out of the revenues that they generate by working in the private sector. And when you're working in the private sector, you're actually doing something of value 
Because if you weren't doing something of value, your company wouldn't be making a profit. They wouldn't be there to employ you. You would go out of business. You know, a perfect example of why you need to be making a profit to stay in business was uh, the news story came out yesterday that Panera Bread uh, was closing their last Panera Cares restaurant. And this one was located in Boston. And the concept of Panera Cares was that, hey, Panera really cares about the, the, the hungry people and the homeless people. And so we don't want to discriminate uh, between customers who can afford to buy a lunch at our restaurant and those who can't. So we're just going to let customers pay whatever they want. You know, so if you if you're homeless and don't have any money, then you eat for free. And if you have money, we'll just contribute what you think is fair to keep the whole store in business. And so maybe the wealthier customers will pay a little bit more and that extra money will make it possible, uh, you know, for the poorer people to pay less or to pay nothing. Well, obviously, you don't have to be a genius to know how that experiment is going to end. I mean, everybody's going to abuse it. People are going to come in there and eat a bunch of food and pay nothing. I mean, when you have the option, hey, pay what you want. Right. Well, people don't want to pay. I mean, that's you know, that's how people are. I mean, liberals uh, are great when it comes to spending other people's money. But here is a situation where literally, literally the left, the liberals failed to put their money where their mouth was because they wanted to eat all this fruit at Panera Cares, but they didn't want to pay for it. And they didn't want to pay enough to keep this restaurant open so that the poor people would have would have extra money. So now they're, they're shutting down. You know, I've always joked about opening up liberal cafe, but I actually now I would call it green cafe, right? If I opened up my own restaurant and I called it green cafe, right? And I said, hey, here's the deal. All of you, you know, liberals, all of you disciples of the bartender, I'm with you. I hear what you're saying and I'm going to open up green cafe. And number one, all the electricity is going to be from solar panels, right? Or a windmill that I'm going to build. And so not only am I going to use that to, to electrify the restaurant and have lights, but we're going to cook, right? Just on solar and wind. I mean, it's going to be 100% green, right? No, you know, no, nothing else, right? And I'm going to pay all my workers, no matter how you know minimal the skills are, I'm going to pay my bus boys. I'm going to pay the people that mop up uh, the restaurant at night, I'm going to pay them all enough money to support an entire family. And I am going to give them paid vacations. I'm going to give them great health care. I'm going to give them a pension, right? I'm going to give all these unskilled people these great jobs that you think they all deserve, right? I'm going to do all that. And oh, by the way, I'm not even going to make a profit for myself. I'm going to run the entire business just to break even. So I'm not even going to take a profit. So there's zero profit for me. I'm, that's my contribution. I'm going to run the green cafe just to break even. Because, of course, I have to break even because I'm not willing to lose money. right? I can't subsidize it, but I won't make any money. I'll contribute my efforts and my time. Uh, but, you know... I need to collect enough from my customers just to keep the doors open, right? Okay, everything is great. So now I have my menu, right? And let's say I have to charge, you know, $75 for a hamburger, you know, to make it all happen, right? And I and maybe a Coca-Cola is $20 or $25, you know, fry, you know. So I have this menu. Of course, everything is very expensive. Why is everything very expensive? Well, because I have to pay all these high salaries and because I have to cook everything with very expensive energy, right? But I but I'm, you know, I'm helping out global warming and I'm I'm giving everybody these high-paying jobs. <laughs> of course, how long would I be able to stay in business? Like 
you know, a week, a day, would any liberals actually eat at that restaurant? I mean, they would applaud it. They would say, this is fantastic, Peter. You're a great guy. You know, I love you. You know, you're real. But I'm not eating at your restaurant because it's just too damn expensive. I, I mean, you really, do you expect me to pay $75 for a hamburger? I'm just going to go next door. And there's a burger shop and I can buy one for $6. Well, why can the other restaurants sell one for $6? Because they're not paying people more than they're worth and because they're using a a less expensive uh, form of energy. So liberals will never put their money where their mouth is. What they don't understand is the reason that wages are what they are is because consumers are in uh, the driver's seat. Sure, I'm sure most business owners would love to be able to pay their workers more, but they can't. They can't do it and stay in business because their customers won't allow it because the customers want to buy an inexpensive product, right? Everybody is competing for customers and you compete on quality and you compete on price. So if you want to be mad, if you're a liberal, right, and you're upset that some businesses aren't paying their workers enough money, don't be mad at the business owners. It's not their fault. Be mad at the customers. It's their fault. I mean, if you haven't seen my YouTube video where I was at Walmart, And I went out in front of Walmart. And, of course, I got a lot of hate mail. I was there with my mother-in-law, who a lot of people just assume was my wife for some reason. But I was out there with my mother-in-law, and we were standing there uh, in a parking lot. And I was saying, hey, are you in favor of a $15 minimum wage? Because I'm from an organization, 15 for 15, and we're fighting for $15 minimum wage. Do you believe in $15 minimum wage? Oh, of course. I think everybody should earn $15. And I said, great. That's fantastic. You know, we're, I'm taking up a collection right now. Here's my plan. You know, we want Walmart to raise their prices by 15% and give all the extra money to the workers. And, and so, you know, some people, you know, Walmart might be afraid that the customers, you know, might not be willing to pay the higher prices, but I'm here to prove that they're wrong. So I'm taking up a collection. You know, would you, you know, how much did you spend today? Oh, you spent $100. Okay, great. Would you put $15 in this box for the workers? And if you don't have the cash, I'd take credit cards, right? I, I spent all day, not a single person. I couldn't find one person in Walmart willing to pay an extra nickel for the workers. They all said they were in favor of the workers earning $15 an hour, but not if it meant that they had to pay higher prices. That is the point, right? That was the point I tried to make to the crowd that was surrounding me uh, on Occupy Wall Street. And, you know, if you haven't watched that, you know, I've almost got a million views now on the Occupy Wall Street that I posted on my YouTube channel. So, I mean, this thing has been seen. I remember some other website posted a couple years ago, got 2 million views. When it originally came out, it got several million views. But that was one of the points that I was trying to make to this crowd. And a lot of people just can't accept that. It is the consumer that determines wages. It's the consumer that determines prices. The customer is always right. That is the beauty of free market capitalism. The consumer calls the shots. And all these billionaires that the bartender hates, they got their billions because they figured out how to satisfy consumers. They won the battle to provide consumers with the highest quality at the lowest price. And they made their money. They enriched themselves by successfully enriching others. There are plenty of people who go into business and fail and who lose money because they can't succeed because they don't give the consumer what the consumer wants. They don't anticipate the consumer's needs and the changing trends. I mean, it's not easy to become a billionaire. That's why so few people are billionaires. But you know, most of them, if they earn their money in the free market, I mean, you can become a billionaire because you have government 
help and government subsidies and things like that. And I'm not in favor of that. But the vast majority of people who are billionaires in America are billionaires because they did a great job of providing the public with valuable things that they wanted that made their lives better. And so from that perspective, the more people who can become billionaires, the better, because that means they did a great job of enriching us. And it doesn't matter if the people that enrich you enrich themselves. Don't worry that somebody else has more than you. Just worry about what you have. The problem is when everybody worries about the guy who has more than them and they vote in socialism, then everybody suffers. Everybody is impoverished. You don't share the wealth. You share the poverty. It always backfires. That's why, you know, the most dangerous words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. It's unfortunate that so few Americans seem to understand uh, the wisdom of that. Anyway, I want to finish up uh, this, uh, this podcast on this um, President's Day weekend. And, 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 you know, first of all, I, I might as well say that. I mean, I just do not like President's Day. I want to go back to Washington's birthday. I mean, I want to celebrate George Washington on President's Day. I don't want to celebrate Barack Obama. I mean, he was a president. I mean, what the hell? President's Day? I mean, I know we used to have two presidents' birthdays around the same time, and not everybody celebrated Lincoln's birthday. Certainly on the down south, they weren't you know, celebrating Lincoln, but you had Lincoln's birthday and you had Washington's birthday. But obviously, before Lincoln was born, we celebrated George Washington. George Washington, one of the greatest Americans to ever live. He was a hell of a guy. I mean, if you don't know much about the history of George Washington, you should read up about our founding father, the father of our country, George Washington. He should be honored above all other presidents. He should not be diminished, right, by just celebrating Washington's birthday along with Barack Obama's or George Bush or Lyndon Johnson or any of these guys that came after him. Let's just celebrate the, the founder of our country and go back to Washington's birthday, you know, and, and forget about this whole nonsense of, of President's Day. But anyway, I wanted to talk about the Jesse Smollett uh, story, which is turning out to be the hoax, the fraud that I said it was from day one. And I think, and maybe I'm not sure, but I think that I'm the first white person to actually come out like that has any kind of real following. I'm sure there were, you know, there are plenty of white people that, you know, had the same thoughts to, as me, you know, privately to their friends. But I went out there, I put it out there on social media, on my YouTube channel, on my podcast, on my Facebook and Twitter. And I said, I think Jesse is lying. I don't believe what this guy is saying because it just doesn't make sense. And it's not because I'm racist, not because I'm homophobic. I just look at the facts. I don't care the color of the guy's skin. I don't care who he likes to have sex with. I just look at the facts. And none of it added up. There were more holes in his story uh, than, than Swiss cheese. And I just called it out because I didn't care. I, I'm not afraid uh, of being politically incorrect. Most people, at least white people, because there were some black people. I did look on YouTube, and there were some uh, black people that were saying they didn't believe Jesse. Right. They and because they can say it because they you know, they're not going to get called racist. Now, may, I don't know if they were gay. Maybe they could say, oh, you're homophobic. But it's, it's OK if you're black and you can criticize someone else's black, because at least, you know, they can't say you're a racist. Right. If you're black. I mean, maybe they call you an Uncle Tom, but they can't say you're a racist. But a lot of white people were afraid. Oh, you, you what are you a racist? You, you don't believe them. Right. You just got to believe the victims. Why? Just because somebody says something, I don't believe what somebody says. 
right? I want facts. I want proof because people lie. I mean, I know that. I mean, we all people make people lie about stuff, especially when they have a, an incentive. I mean, I never even heard of this guy. I never even heard of the show that he's on. I mean, it's a hit show. I never even heard knew it existed. I know about it now. I know about Empire. I know about Small. I know all this stuff. I had no clue. So if you're an actor and you're kind of obscure and maybe you're known in a small community, maybe, you know, maybe the black community knew this guy, you know, I, I mean, but maybe the broader community didn't know who he is. So certainly publicity, people have done publicity stunts. I mean, he's not going to be the first actor to just do a stunt just to call attention to himself. I mean, and of course, with all the politics out there, I mean, you know, hey, MAGA loving guys, you know, attack this guy. I mean, it just all seemed too convenient. But the media is just eating this up because this is what they live for. This is the narrative, right? The the Trump supporters are bigots and they're homophobes. So whenever they get a story that validates that narrative, they just run with it. They don't they, they you know they don't bother to ask any questions. They don't look for any holes in the story. They just immediately go with it like it's true. And if anybody doubts it, oh, you're just blaming the victim. You're victimizing him again. I mean, you've got to believe him. Why? Why? Let, look, tell me something that's plausible, and maybe I'll believe it. Give me some facts. But I pointed out all the holes in this story. So we've got some new information. So I want to discuss this now. So it looks like. He did tell the truth about some things because he never I, I said, ah, oh, there's no way that somebody, you know, somebody threw a, a rope around his neck. Right. I mean, who's going to be walking around Chicago at two in the morning, uh, 30 degrees below zero, carrying in some rope. Right. I mean, people don't walk around with and it wasn't just rope. It was already a noose. Right. So it's just people just walking around, you know, with nooses and, and, and bleach. So I didn't believe that anybody threw a noose on his head, and I didn't believe that anybody threw bleach on him. And apparently, I think that might not, I mean, I may have been wrong. Two people may, in fact, have uh, thrown the the, the uh, noose around his neck and, 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 and poured some bleach on him. And in fact, it may be the two guys that were shown, the only two people that were shown other than Smollett, in the the uh, the the cameras because they have all these security cameras all over Chicago. Remember, I mentioned on my other podcast they got the entire thing. They got him walking to and from uh, the subway restaurant. There's just one minute where they don't have him on camera, and of course, nothing happens during that minute, so they they can't see anything, right? But they did have a picture of these two guys, right, dressed you know in 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 clothing, but you know you really couldn't make out their faces. You could just see that one is quite a bit taller than the other, but there's two guys walking calmly. They're not running. They're kind of walking. And it turns out that those two guys may, in fact, have actually thrown the noose around Jesse Smollett's head and poured bleach on him. And in fact, when Jesse did an interview the other day and he saw that picture, he said, yep, that's probably then. I'm pretty sure, I'm 100% sure those are the guys who did it, even though you can't see their faces at all. Right, you can't you can't see anything that would let you know that those are the same two guys. But he says, "Yep, that's it. Those are the two guys." And you know what? He's probably right. Those are the two guys. Oh, and by the way, in his story too, he changed his story again. And Jesse now not only did he fight back, right, but he basically scared the guys off. He's basically saying now that you know initially one of the guys yelled out at him, you know, you know, he called him the N word and and and, and you're a fag. And uh, and stuff like that. And then apparently, you know, Smollett like got real tough and like, you know, like, say what? 
Like, what did you say to me? Like, you know, you're talking to me? Like, he got real tough. And then the guy punched Jesse in the face, and so Jesse just punched him right back. And, he, and then they ran away. You know, he, he noticed later that somehow they had slipped this noose around his neck, but he scared him off. And basically what he was telling the woman who was interviewing him is that, hey, people think homosexuals, you know, gay people are, 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 are weak. We're not weak. We're strong. And I kick ass, right? Like, you know, like, like he scared these two guys away. And these are actually some big guys. They're actually bodybuilders. But that's as far as the, the truth goes. Because now we're actually getting the story. It turns out that these two guys, most likely, now of course, you know, I'm not, not 100%, but this is what it looks like most probable. The police in Chicago have figured out who these guys are, right? And number one, they're not white. They're black. They are from Nigeria. So they're, they're pretty black. They're, they're, you know, they're not even like American blacks where, you know, you probably have a lot of white blood in them, so they're not that dark. These guys came from Nigeria. So these guys are black, black. Right? There's no way that Smollett could have confused these guys and thought they were white. So they're definitely black. So if these are the two guys who did it, then it's certainly, if it's a hate crime, it has nothing to do with race. I mean, maybe they, maybe they don't like him because, uh, you know, he's, he's gay. And so maybe when they use the N-word, it's like, well, it's okay because they're black. They're allowed to use the N-word. It's like, you know, they, they use it all the time. So that's no big deal. So maybe it's still a hate crime. And, you know, they, they, you know, they did this because, you know, they don't like gay people, not that they don't like black people because they're black themselves. But it turns out also that one of these guys, if not the other, if not two of them, but at least one of them is an actor and was an extra on Empire, the same series that Smollett is a regular on. And in fact, these guys are buddies. They work out at the same gym and Smollett follows them on Instagram. (laughs) Now, so, so now... What are the odds that the only two people that happen to be walking around at night in Chicago in 30 degree below temperature at 2.30 in the morning, the only two people that happen to be walking around that are captured by the security camera are friends with Smollett? I mean, what? I mean, talk about coincidence, right? Because obviously these guys are friends and they're black, so they can't be the two guys that attacked him if he really was attacked by some homophobic, racist Trump supporters. They had to be some other two guys that did that. And so these two guys just randomly just happened to be there, and they happened to be caught on video, and, oh, what do you know? They're buddies with Smollett. (laughs) No way that is a coincidence. So obviously, these are the guys. These are his friends. And if they're his friends, then they were in on it. They orchestrated it. The whole thing is a hoax. They were there to try to, you know, play this thing up. And here's, you might be thinking, well, how did the police find these guys? I mean, if you look at the photograph, I mean, you can't see anything about them other than their relative size difference and that they're both big, right? And one is a lot bigger than the other, but, you know, or a lot taller than the other. Well, here's how they found it. Remember I mentioned, and this was another thing that just didn't smell right to me, and I mentioned it on the original, on my podcast. The police wanted his phone records because he told them that he was talking to his manager at the time of the attack. And so they wanted the phone to kind of, you know, get some more clues to narrow down the time window to help them find the suspects. Right. And, and so Smollett refused to hand over the phone. And of course, you know, he makes up some excuse that, well, I can't hand over the phone because, you know, I got some personal stuff on there. I got my my my, my partner's phone numbers on there. Um, my family's phone number's on there. So I, I, can't, uh, I can't hand over my, my, my phone. 
Well, obviously the police, I thought that was like, you know, hey, you just got attacked, a hate crime. I mean, you're going to do whatever you can, uh, you know, with the police. I mean, so what if there's some personal stuff on there? Hey, no big deal. I want to help you track down these guys. Yeah, here, take, here's my phone. You know, just, you know, don't, you know, just to please, you know, respect my privacy. But yeah, I really want to help out. So the police uh, went and, and, and they got the phone records directly from the cell phone company. But they also kept talking to Smollett saying, hey, we want your phone records. And so Smollett basically printed out some kind of a spreadsheet or PDF of his entire phone log, except he edited it. He took out phone calls that he did not want the police to see. So what the police did is they compared the doctored up, dummied up, phone log that Smollett turned over to the actual one that they got from the phone company and they saw where what numbers weren't there and they they did some research on those phone numbers and they also I guess ran them a, 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 you know ran the the log of the car services Uber and Lyft to see hey did anybody with this cell phone you know take a a, a ride a, a, you know use one of these cars to get to or from this vicinity uh, during this time period, and they found it. That's how they found the guys. They they used uh, Lyft, which you know shows you if you are going to commit any kind of a crime, do not use you know Uber as your getaway car. I mean you know you're you're going to get found. But anyway, so they were able to track them down with a cell phone and uh, you know the Lyft, and they actually found the apartment where these guys are staying. And apparently, you know, they found some bleach there. So there's the bleach. Now, of course, you know. I mean, just having bleach doesn't mean that you poured it on Smollett's head, but the bleach was at least there. And also, according to the police, the same day of this incident, remember, this happened early in the morning, like 2, 3 o'clock. Later that same day, these guys left. They flew back to Nigeria. So they left town the exact day of this happened, which makes sense, right? You're going to take part of this crime. This is a crime. It's a fraud on the police department, right? So you, you get out of town right away, right? You do the you do your the dirty work, and then you get out of town, and then, and then you leave. So it seems like these are the facts. Now, apparently, the police... In Chicago are still not saying it's a hoax. I think what these guys are doing is they're still making believe that Jesse Smollett had nothing to do with it, but that these are the criminals and that maybe the police are going to say, okay, you attacked Smollett. You know, you assaulted him. It's a hate crime. And of course they could still say it's a hate crime, even though they're black because he did use the homophobic words. So they could say this was gay bashing, right? It's a hate crime. And you guys are doing some serious time. I mean, we caught you with the bleach. Here's your bleach. You know, you know, maybe they bought the, 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 the rope that they made into a noose. So maybe they're going to be able to threaten these guys with some serious jail time unless they rat out uh, Smollett. So I think that's where they are right now. Meanwhile, the mainstream media, nobody is really talking about this because nobody in the mainstream wants to actually go out on a limb and acknowledge this story or talk about the fact that Smollett is lying, right? That he is not telling the truth because people are afraid. They're afraid of being called racist, afraid of being called homophobes, afraid of being yelled at for blaming the victim. And it's it's unfortunate that that, you, that 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 people are so you know fearful of the left and just like you know march to whatever tune that that they want to play. So and I don't know how the left is going to deal with this revelation, right? They're going to have to walk back everything. Maybe they're going to ignore it. They're probably going to say, look, you know, we know this kind of stuff goes on all the time. You know, right? right you know, all these Trump 
supporters who are racist and homophobes, you know, we know they're doing this all the time. So this one time it was a hoax, but you know, we know there's all these unreported incidents of hate crimes going on. And, you know, this is just unfortunate that Smollett, they're not going to reflect on how readily and easily they believed him. And of course, this was just one week after that incident with the high school boys and everybody jumped to the wrong conclusion that they were harassing this Native American, right? Just because they saw a picture of a white kid smiling next to a a Native American beating a drum and they automatically assumed uh, that the, the kids were harassing him in some way when it was actually the other way around. Of course, they never apologized. But no sooner, like what, a week later, after they jumped to the wrong conclusion there, they do the same thing again. They bite on the same bait because it helps drive the very narrative uh, that they want. I mean, it plays perfectly into uh, their agenda, which is probably why Smollett believed that he could get away with this. He probably knew everyone's going to believe me because I'm the victim and I must be believed. And I'm the right color and I'm the right sexual orientation. So I'm a double victim and I've been victimized again. And everybody knows that Trump supporters are a bunch of racist and homophobes, right? I hope if this guy really did this, and it, to me, it seems like he did, this whole thing was made up. I bet he sent that letter to himself. And again, that's why he turned down the security detection. He didn't want a bodyguard because he knew there was nothing to guard. In fact, the bodyguard would have screwed up his plans for a fake hate crime. But they need to throw the book at this guy. This guy, if he is charged and convicted, he needs to do some serious jail time because not only does he need to be punished, but we need to send a message to all the would-be Jesse Smollett's who are looking to emulate this copycat to be for their for their fame, right? Their 25 minutes of fame, you know. And, of course, what he was doing there deliberately for his own personal benefit, he is stoking the fires of of racial tension, right? He is basically uh, making the situation worse. We already have, right, all this tension. And and now by doing this, by, by confirming everybody's fears, he is just basically antagonizing the situation, right? Talk about, like, yelling, you know, fire in a a crowded theater. So we need to make sure that this type of conduct, this lying to the police, lying to the media, lying to the public, and deliberately, you know, uh, inciting, you know, who knows, maybe there, what if there were some riots? What if there were some uh, other things that happened as a result of this and, and more and innocent people? I mean, the only thing that was positive about this is that he didn't blame somebody who had to, you know, it, it wasn't like when, when somebody says, hey, he raped me. And, and, and it's a, the whole thing is a lie, but now you have an innocent person whose reputation is ruined and who may actually go to jail for a crime he didn't commit. He didn't point out any particular individual. So there was no direct person who was going to have to be in jail. That's why I titled that podcast, The Real Victim is the Truth, right? That's what was being uh, victimized. And, you know, Jesse is going to be a winner on this if he doesn't go to jail, right? Because even if it's proven that this is a hoax, right? There are a lot of people who aren't going to believe it was a hoax. A lot of people are going to think he actually got attacked and fought back. Look look at all the people who think O.J. Simpson was innocent. Now, of course, he was acquitted because the jury, you know, well, I don't know if the jury was a bunch of idiots uh, or they just were trying to send a political message, right? It was the equivalent of I, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. We know the uh, LAPD are a bunch of racists, and so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you know, vote uh, with our feet here, or, you know, we're going to register our disgust and our how much we don't like the system by acquitting OJ. But maybe they actually thought, 
he was innocent. Maybe they ignored all the overwhelming evidence that he was guilty, but you still have a large segment of people out there that believe OJ was innocent. So I'm sure that even if all the evidence comes out that this guy lied off his ass and made everything up, and if you get the other guys confessing and ratting him out, you're going to have a lot of people who are still going to believe Jesse's story. And you know what? It's the it's the uh, the establishment. It's the white racists. It's the institutions, right? You know, if the system is rigged, and this is more victimization and more proof that you know if you're black and gay in America, you know everybody's out to get you. Even though this guy is very successful, makes a lot of money. His color and his sexual orientation have not been a handicap. It didn't stop this guy from being a success, right? That narrative is still going to be there. So we actually have to punish him, right? He needs to be punished and an example needs to be made so that people won't do this. But the bigger example or the lesson that needs to be learned, which I'm sure won't be, is the left has to stop jumping to conclusions, They have to think first. They can't act on emotion and immediately assume that that somebody is guilty or somebody is innocent because of the color of their skin or the sexual orientation. It's not that here's the good guys and here's the bad guys. Here's the victims and here's everybody else, and it's black and white. It's not. And so the the left has has to stop making these kind of judgments. And that's unfortunately... That's how they are. I mean, because that's how it comes to economics. They don't use their minds. It's all about emotion. It's all about what feels good. It's all about, you know, caring and feeling, but they don't actually think anything through. They don't think things through when it comes to these type of social issues, and they don't think things through when it comes to the economy. It's all the same thing. And, you know, will they ever learn? I don't know, you know, Uh, but I'm going to be out there. I'm going to keep on telling the truth. I'm going to keep on. Uh, you know, saying what's on my mind and what I actually think, and I'm not going to be intimidated uh, by a culture that's trying to force me to conform uh, to their way of thinking. And I'm going to keep on telling the truth when it comes to economics. And hopefully people will keep on listening to this podcast and tell more people. Let's spread the word, get more people. I got to get a larger audience out there so I can make a bigger difference because I'm fighting a big battle. There's so much fake news out there in the conventional media uh, that we really have to do what we can uh, to get my type of podcast, uh, and of course, I'm not the only one, but I'm, I think I'm doing a good job, but we got to get more people listening to this type of content and fewer people uh, being brainwashed by the mainstream media.